Today I find myself identifying with the Apostle Paul who described himself as the chief of sinners. That's the way I feel when it comes to this respectable sin of retaliation. So can I just go ahead and confess? I remember as an eight-year-old boy the time a greasy-haired carnival worker yelled at my little brother and made him cry, and the carny went right back to smoking and reading his magazine and teetering backwards on a wooden chair until I kicked the legs out from under it and grabbed my little brother's hand and took off running. <laughs> and I remember Clarence Adcock beating up my friend Butch during recess one day. Go figure. A boy named Clarence beating up on a boy named Butch. It, it, I slammed a basketball into the side of Clarence's face, and I became an instant celebrity in my class. <laughs> and then I remember in Cub Scouts, when David Hasty deliberately stomped on my den mother's foot. I was on him like a duck on a June bug, ch choking him with his own Cub Scout neckerchief. <laughs> now, I want to... I want to clarify that I was not a bully. I was not a bully. But when it came to bullies, <laughs> I wanted to be their worst nightmare. I wanted to be the walking tall Buford Pusser, Sheriff of McNary County, Tennessee at St. Joseph Grade School. And it worked out pretty well until as a freshman in high school, I met Stan Price, a senior who sat me on the water fountain at least once a week. <laughs> Needless to say, the vigilante in me died a natural death that year. <laughs> but I have retained a strong sense of justice, and that's why, that's why some of my favorite guys in our church are in law enforcement. I'd probably be a cop if I weren't a pastor. Well, now that I've got my confession out of the way, I want to be sure that the difference between personal retaliation and criminal justice is clear because there's a difference. And we're not talking about criminal justice here this morning. Exodus chapter 21, verse 23, there are a series of laws that Moses was commanded by God to set before the nation of Israel. It was a part of their judicial system, and among them we read these words, if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. But I want you to notice this is in the context of national law and order, which are the responsibility of good government. In fact, government's primary God-ordained function is revealed in Romans chapter 13, verse 4. For he, that is government, is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So government is to be just, and the consequence of disobeying the just laws of the land is punishment. But that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is something very different, personal 
retaliation. And a a good illustration of this would be the 19th century feud between the Hatfields and McCoys. Started out as a dispute over a razorback hog, and it turned into a vendetta that continued for several decades and actually went all the way to the Supreme Court. And members of both clans committed brutal murders, and history records that their fighting brought heartache to every family in the Tug Fork River Valley. And the two men who started this bitter and destructive violence, William Hatfield, Randolph McCoy, were responsible for at least two dozen deaths. And although, although they both lived long lives, they had to watch the suffering of many of their loved ones. You see, vengeance is a sin. Even though it may be a respectable sin, it's a sin. And no matter how right we think we are, it always turns out badly. It is an offense to God, and it is an offense sometimes to an unknown number of people. Now, there's a humorous side of retaliation, and I think maybe I've shared this story, but it's such a good one. Laugh and make me feel good when I come to the punchline. Military unit stationed overseas, hired a naive Asian young man to cook and clean for them. The soldiers began to have fun at the expense of their new house boy. They smeared Vaseline on the stove knobs, and they put buckets of water over the door so he'd get soaked when he opened, and they nailed his shoes to the floor while he was asleep. And day after day, the young man took the brunt of their practical jokes, never said a word. Finally, the men felt guilty about what they were doing, so they met with him and said, "Look." We know that these pranks aren't funny to you, and we're sorry, and we're not going to do it again. And the boy smiled, and then he asked, no more sticky on snow stove knobs? The guys responded, no. No more water over door. No more nail shoes to floor. We'll stop that too. Okay, the house boy said with a grin, no more spit in soup. Thank you. Uh, and then there's, then there's the emotionally insensitive and verbally abusive husband whose wife took his toothbrush and she swished it around in the toilet bowl every day after he left for work. There are actually an innumerable number of ways that we can get even. And I, I, I actually hesitate to mention the categories. I really don't want to give anyone any ideas. But sometimes retaliation falls into the category being physical, physical retaliation. Whether it's two toddlers fighting over a toy or two adults fighting because of road rage, some people act out with physical violence. And this kind of irrational retaliation often accelerates and results in physical injury or even death. A feuding neighbor might have a gun. He might shoot, or worse yet, he might key our new car. So there's physical retaliation, and then there's verbal retaliation. You know, some people don't want anything physical, but yelling and screaming work for them. If you're more articulate, you want to avoid the potentially extreme consequences of physically acting out, then this is what you do. And I've overheard in my lifetime some doozy arguments complete with some very inventive profanity. 
haven't you? Sometimes the, the verbal retaliation is maligning the person face-to-face, -face, and sometimes it's not face-to-face, -face, but it's rather the defamation of their character in our conversations with others. We never speak to them harshly, but we'll speak to others harshly about them. So there's, there's physical retaliation, there's verbal retaliation, there's emotional retaliation. We're talking here about prolonged periods of non-communication. We believe that using silence as a weapon will bring the other person to their knees, bring the other person around, but it seldom happens. Usually it only serves to widen the communication gap, deepen the feelings of estrangement between two people, and create even more anger and even more frustration. Well, then finally, there's legal retaliation. And this method almost always makes bad matters worse. But as Christ followers, we are taught a better way. When it's an issue between two Christians, take a look, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, if any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Friends, listen, as a family of God, we have a different value system when it comes to resolving our civil grievances, and it does not involve using the law to even the score. Okay, let's get to our text, Romans chapter 12. Beginning in verse 14 of Romans chapter 12, we have what we want to take home with us today, the remedies to rid yourself of retaliationism. But there's a word of warning. In my opinion, these verses contain the most radical and revolutionary teaching in Scripture. Here we go. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Remedy 1, verse 14, bless those who blast you. If you're persecuted, bless 
and do not curse. Now, there is a natural tendency for us when we are blasted to react, to be defensive, to respond in kind. If people are offensive to us, if they are abusive toward us, we respond in kind. If they raise their voice, we raise our voice a little louder. But Paul's words here in Romans, we just read them, sound a whole lot like Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you instead. Pay them back with blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and He will bless you for it. When Jesus was crucified, He responded to the mocking crowd with the spoken-out-loud prayer, Father, forgive them. When Stephen was stoned, his last words were a spoken prayer out loud, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And these prayers by Jesus and Stephen, spoken out loud, demonstrate what we're talking about here, this greater spiritual maturity. We don't respond like a natural man. We don't respond like the natural woman. When we're blasted, we look for ways to bless. Told you it was tough. Remedy two, seek harmony through humility. Now, a part of this verse 16, live in harmony with one another, is followed by these admonitions. I didn't read them, but they're in the text. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. It's talking about humility here. Humility promotes harmony in interpersonal relationships. But if you're haughty, if you're self-serving, it's going to be really hard for anyone to live in harmony with you. And if you characteristically don't get along with a lot of people, you might want to take a look at the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror. Because in contrast, humility will pave the way for peace in all your relationships. And in this passage, it talks about associating with those in low positions. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about spending time with people who have been flattened by life. That's what it's talking about. People in low positions. It's not talking about a class system. It's not talking about economics here. Someone who's in a low position, someone who has been flattened by life, spend time with them. Be willing to spend time with them. And this is a major component of our refuge ministry, which is about to crank up again here on Monday, August the 19th. It'll give you the opportunity to associate with others, to minister to others, to be ministered to by others. That's what we're talking about. Remedy three. Resist repaying wrongs. Do not re repay, it says, evil for evil. It's a biblical command. It reminds me a little of the story of four-year-old Jack and his little sister. Jack's mother ran into the bedroom. She heard him screaming, found his little two-year-old sister, had a double handful of the hair on his head. Mother gently released the little girl's grip, and she comforted Jack, saying, There, there. She didn't mean it. She didn't know that hurts. Mom was barely out of the room. The little girl started screaming, rushed back into the bedroom. She asked Jack what happened. Now she knows 
Jack replied. <laughs> See, Jack wanted his little sister to hurt like he hurts. So, do you want someone to hurt like you hurt? You know, don't you, that the extreme version of this ethic is what's behind many of the tragic, tragic mass murders, many of the bombings that cause the deaths of innocent people because hurt people tend to hurt people. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and everyone else. And Bruce Getz offers three good reasons why we should resist repaying wrong for wrong. Here's what he says. First of all, retaliation causes the conflict to escalate, and that is true. If there is retaliation involved, then the problem gets bigger, and you go all the way from the razorback hog to the Supreme Court. That's what we're talking about. Retaliation is usually excessive. Usually when someone retaliates, they want to pay back with interest, you know. Retaliation also ruins our witness. There are always people watching. There are always people who will know. Forgiveness is better than retaliation. That's what I'm saying here. Even if the person who hurt you, listen, even if the person who hurt you is not sorry, listen, your forgiveness does not clear the other person's record with God. It doesn't. It just clears you of having to worry about how you're going to get even with them. When you forgive someone, you are not turning them loose. You are turning them over to God who can be trusted to deal with them his way, which is always the best way. And that's why we find these words in the wisdom literature, Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait on the Lord, and He will deliver you. People talk a lot today about moving on. I'm just going to move on. Friends, this is how you truly move on. You do it without dragging the baggage of unforgiveness. Garth Brooks sings, We bury the hatchet, but leave the handle sticking out. We're always digging up things we should forget about. Sounds a lot like 1 Corinthians 13.5, doesn't it? Love keeps no record of wrong. So, what do you need to release today? What do you need to let go of today? This is a perfect day. This is a perfect day for it. Remedy four, pursue peace with everyone. Pursue peace with everyone. But you're going to find as you progress through the years that there are some people in your world that psychologist and author Joyce Landorf calls irregular people, people with whom you consistently have difficulty. And it's amazing how many times these people find their way into your family. <laughs> or you find your way into theirs. The qualifiers here are these words. Listen, if it is possible, or 
as much as it depends on you. You can't answer for the other person. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it does not depend on you. But there are a few good questions to honestly ask yourself if there's someone on your short list of people for whom you have contempt. First of all, have you considered whether you've had a part in the breakdown of the relationship? Number two, are you willing to humbly make the first move in the interest of reconciliation? Number three, have you asked for or extended forgiveness for any wrong done by you or to you? Fourthly, are you doing your part right now to be at peace? David Nelson tells the story of two brothers who went to their pastor to settle a long-standing dispute, and the pastor got them together, the brothers together, and got them to settle their differences and shake hands. And as they were about to leave his office, the pastor asked them to express a wish for each other in the new year. So the older brother turned to his younger brother and said, I wish for you what you wish for me. Second brother threw up his hands and said, See, Pastor, he's starting up again. You see, you've heard it said, it takes two to tango. It also takes two to tangle. So just try and make sure that you're not one of them. Pursue peace with everyone. Remedy five. Release revenge to God. Verse 19 says, do not take revenge, my friends. He says, my friends, because he knows what a hard teaching this is, and he's trying to get them on his side of the line. Do not take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God has called us to be peacemakers, not prosecutors. So the issue is, do we really trust God? Do we really believe God? Do we really believe God when He says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay? If we trust God, if we trust Him as a righteous judge to balance the books, to make things right, He's gone on record here. He's gone on record. He said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And although His wrath is not a popular subject in today's world. A little book in the Old Testament called Nahum, N-A-H-U-M, Nahum 1-2 says this, the Lord is an avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. It's one component of God's nature, and I don't want to apologize for it. But when we are vengeful, when we are vengeful, we're putting on God's judgment robe, and it's way too big for us because, first of all, God alone can judge fairly. We just don't know everything, and we cannot discern the thoughts and intents of another person's heart. And number two, no one is going to get away with anything. It's true. Justice will be done in His way and in His time, unless the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ is applied to that life. But look at this 
Third truth, the God of judgment is also the God of mercy. And aren't we glad? We don't want to be guilty of the attitude of Jonah. He became so despondent because the people of Nineveh repented and turned to God, and, and he wanted them to burn. That is a lousy attitude for a prophet. <laughs> and it's a lousy attitude for a Christian, my friends. We should be more like David. David, who spared the life of King Saul at least twice, when he could have taken it. It would have been a shortcut to the throne. And after all, Saul was after him. Saul had repeatedly tried to kill him. Saul was stalking him, and he had the opportunity to take his life twice. He didn't do it. And Saul even said to David these words, When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you for the way you have treated me. And by the way, God's judgment did fall on Saul and his house. A short time later, later his headless corpse was hung on the wall of the Philistines. Remedy number six, do good to those who do you wrong. That's in verse 20, and this is tough. Because you see, this goes beyond not repaying evil for evil. Not repaying evil for evil, that's one thing, but you're talking here about providing food and drink for your enemy? That's tough. But in doing this, it says you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, here it is, your kindness has the potential to completely demoralize and devastate those who do you wrong. This is the right-side-up way of Jesus, who said in Matthew 5, 40 and 41, if someone wants to sue you and take your coat, give him your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go with him a mile, go with him two miles. You extend kindness to those who are unkind to you. If you really want to see God work in your life, you try this, you do this, and watch it happen. Let me illustrate how this heaps coals of fire on your enemy's head. That's what we're really interested in here, isn't it? <laughs> a young man in college had a habit of praying beside his bed each night before he went to sleep. Something he'd done as a young boy all the way up through his high school years. Kept the practice, even though he was often mocked by his cynical roommate. One night he knelt down by his bed to silently pray. His roommate took off his muddy boots and threw them one at a time, hitting him in the head. The Christian said nothing as he continued silently praying. Next morning, his roommate awoke, found his boots sitting beside his bed, polished and shined. It broke him. And after a short time, he too became a Christian. True story. When Nelson Mandela became president of South Africa, he, he appointed a commission to bring to justice those who'd been guilty of atrocities during a time of apartheid. And any white officer who voluntarily faced his accusers and confessed his guilt would be pardoned. One day an old woman was brought face to face with the young soldier who had murdered her only son and her beloved husband. When she was asked, what do, you, what do you want? Here's what she said. 
Although I have no family left, I still have a lot of love to give. And so she requested that the young soldier visit her regularly so she could mother him. And she said, I'd like to embrace him right now so he will know that my forgiveness is real. And as the old woman walked toward the witness stand, the soldier was so overwhelmed with shame and remorse that he fainted. The pain that old woman inflicted was not sinful retaliation. It was the purifying fire of a God-given love that led to reconciliation. She was not overcome by evil. She overcame evil with good. I wonder if you can accept what I have said today as, as God's Word. Do you believe that this could be the day, this could be the hour that you release the desire to get even with someone in your past? I want to ask you right now as an expression of obedience in this matter of forgiveness, take time to write down a name on a piece of paper, or you can use the cards and the pens in the pew racks. And in a few moments, at the close of our service, I want to challenge you to take that name and drop it in one of the trash cans in our atrium or on either side of the door as you exit our worship center today. I want to ask you to use this message in song right now to listen, quietly think, and pray, and write, and leave it here today.